You're listening to the Joe Rogan Experience Review. What a bizarre thing we've created. Now with your hosts, Adam Thorne and Mark Hampton. This might either be the worst podcast or the best one of all time. Welcome back to another edition of the JRE Review. How you doing, Mark? Good. Fires all around. How's Paris? No fires. Lots of wine. Nice. Yeah. That's what it I'm sounds like about. a good time to be away from LA. Uh, I picked. I think you picked the perfect fucking time to be away from LA. It's uh, yeah. It's a little. This shit all happened while I was asleep, so I just woke up to Instagram videos, like a thousand Instagram videos of people driving the four or five with the like Sepulveda Pass, just the hills on fire right next to the Getty Museum. Which is terrifying because the, those works of art are priceless. But uh, I also live two miles from there, and that's a little scary too. So he's like, "Oh shit! I could have <laughs> this all happened while I was asleep." That's a yeah. Well, concern. Rogan was talking about this. He just recently moved from an area where he's been evacuated a few times, and and he said on the pod, actually the one just gone because he's referencing the same fires. He was like, "Well, we were considering moving to the Palisades, but there were fires there too, right?" There's nowhere safe. You gotta. I mean, if you want to, want to get away from fires in Southern California, you need to move to Iowa. Like, it's time to go. I mean, it's just like it's October's fire season, and uh, we all kind of know it. Uh, I don't know. Run. Maybe we should just install a sprinkler system throughout California and just run it in October. Because <laughs> like, wet wood walk wood around doesn't with catch fire because we know it's fire season the santa anas blow in for those of you not from california santa anas are this um this these winds that come in from i guess the southeast i think um super dry winds so it zaps all the humidity out of the air at one point it was like one percent humidity so it zaps it all out of the air so there's no moisture whatsoever at all it's like desert climate desert um desert environment and then um, a little bit of smoke, a little bit of fire, and ash from a cigarette can cause massive devastation. Lightning, a power line going out, campfire, anything. There's zero humidity to snuff out any fire. And that's what happens in October, and it happens every fucking October now. Yeah, my older roommate is, uh, is a fireman, and uh, I would talk to him about it. I'm like, well, what can they do? You always expect people in, that, in the position you know, of knowledge and expertise yeah. to be like, oh, well, really what you need is this and better inf- and blah, 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 and more money. He just looked at me and you'd shake his head and be like, I don't know, wait till it stops burning. Uh, Pretty much. That's what you have to do. Pray for rain. Pray for rain. Rain <laughs> dance. Let's bring the rain dance back. For real, man. There's really not mm. much to do. I mean. <laughs> well, gonna... while we're still alive, let's cover alive. the recent week's podcasts. Uh, some interesting ones. We had a comedian, a philosopher, and a Hollywood producer. All really very interesting, very fun. I liked them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was nice. I, you, sometimes when I don't know who a guest is, obviously, it's a bit of a shit show. You never know where it's going to go, the conversation. Exactly. But, um, first off, we have Bridget uh, Fettacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, thirteen sixty-seven. She's the host of the Dumpster Fire podcast, yes. of which I listened to a little bit the other day. Very fun. Uh, she also writes for uh, Playboy magazine, which is a pretty cool job. And um, wow, I mean, what a start! Within 
20 minutes of that podcast, she was really getting into her life, talking about drug problems, talking about sexual yeah. abuse when she was younger. I she mean, I, I think the initial question was, what made you become a comic? And it immediately goes back to trauma, but you yeah. just don't expect it to be that deep. Well, I um, I think a lot of artists draw on trauma as just a way of uh, as content. It's because art is eventually what, is always about what you have to say, what you have to say about the world, how you express yourself. Um, I think there are probably artists they're going to be predisposed to art anyway but this is what she has to say this is what she can joke about this is what she can talk about this is what she has to offer to the world at large um and i think a lot of people especially artists because they're deep feeling human beings i think they come at art that way this is you know from your experiences i mean the first thing you learn when you're a writer is write what you know and i kind of feel like it's that sense do you think that a lot of art in general is kind of like not just an expression of emotion, but maybe like individual therapy almost for the people? Not to go too deep with it, like, you know, we don't really fucking know what we're talking about. But, but I mean, when it comes to like drawing a painting that has a lot of emotion and maybe like perceived pain in, mm -hmm. that's one thing, right? But mm -hmm. when you do it as stand-up, you're also putting your body, your be a person in that place of pain almost yeah because you could bomb you could completely collapse and you're and you're trying to find good and something positive out of something potentially horrific and it's and it's like the the people that have felt this discomfort and this madness before are mm -hmm. almost prepared for it it's almost like taking damage but then saying you know what this is a resume this is actually something <sighs> useful and this is how to express it absolutely I mean, comedy is pain plus time. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> that's what it is. I don't know if it's therapeutic or it might be therapeutic. I don't know if it's valuable therapy. I had an old acting coach years ago. He said, be very, very wary of um, acting as therapy. He goes, because you don't have anyone to guide you. You can get lost in the weeds. You can end up worse than you were. Um, but I, I do think there is something... Uh, there has to be at least something healing about being able to talk about what you went through and laugh about what you went through, right? Um, and it's, again, it goes back to what you know. You're dealing with what you know as a, um, you know, as an artist, and I think that's, um, I think that's valuable for them, and that's what they have to talk about. I mean, what what brought? Let's talk about us. What brought you to comedy? Do you? I mean, you were more of a examine examination comedian you like to take a look at things in the world examine them poke holes in them make fun of them kind of thing i don't feel like you drew, you haven't drawn from your personal stories as much you're more of an analytical comedian and would you would you say that's accurate yeah that's right i mean um it yeah what that's an interesting question what did bring me to it i think it's just that it's hard it's really difficult Right, and it was scary. I mean, it was it was more scary than it was difficult in that sense. There's hard things, right? There's a lot of hard things. Sure, but but the the fear portion, just the idea that that you know, not being like uh, a creative person, quote unquote. You know, I went to school for like scientific endeavors. I never did drama. I wasn't that person. So the idea of 
expressing myself that way and watching others do it was it was always amazing to me, even from a little kid. Right. I just never put it together that it could be a, a, something you do. Um, and then when I didn't like what I was doing, a lot like what Joe's podcast says, I mean, if you're in a cubicle and you hate your fucking job, look, you can stay there forever or you can really just say, no, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do this shit. I think there's another way. And, 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 and it all was kind of part and parcel. I mean, together in that way. And I think that's what I draw from in a sense when I, when I go back and, and write any comedy and do it. Like you said, I'm not, I, I don't think I'm ready to like talk about my past. I'm too new to it. Sure. You know, when they say you find your voice, you like, you really figure out who you are. I, I probably will a lot more then because I'll be able to find the funny out of it instead of like, oh, that was awful. Mm-hmm. Um, but but now I can just poke fun at the world. Uh, it makes me feel exactly. Better. I kind of feel like I'm that in a way too, or at least that's how I want my comedy to be. I want to poke fun at the world, poke fun of like poking fun of the world nuance. Yeah, because I don't. I mean, I I think we all have some trauma from childhood. I mean, I have talked in my set about like being bullied when I was younger, and I was a skinny rail of a kid who didn't care about school. Um, you know, and I come from, you know, my there's a lot of addiction in my family, but I can't really talk about the trauma inflicted by my alcoholic father because he was actually quite a jovial drunk. So he wasn't really, he was kind of, he was way worse sober. That's, but all he did was use guilt trips. So he just kind of became a Jewish mother when he was, uh, when he was sober. And it's, I can't really talk <laughs> about that in terms of like, why that's horrible trauma because nobody would be like fuck off because it really it wasn't that bad you just try to guilt trip me into like mowing the lawn or, or finding the remote or doing the dishes it really wasn't that bad um so yeah i but i've always examined life through a comedic lens and i like to i like to look at things i like to see the way things are built and I'll tell you why it's stupid <laughs> That's how I like to approach yeah, that's, comedy. I think everyone likes to do that. I think yeah. it makes everybody feel a little bit better because we all probably feel stupid. Like, and mm-hmm. we none of us know anything works. So to get to like break something apart and be like, "Oh, isn't Uber dumb? Or isn't the carpooling system stupid?" Exactly. And you know, just to kind of like do those, it, everyone can kind of get a bit of relief from it. They're like, "Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's good." The food trucks, like you so famously mm-hmm. talking about in your set, which I thought was hysterical. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, well, yeah, it's because there's things, and and that's the thing, though. Even if you like, I actually like food trucks. I know, but it's not funny to say you like them. It's way funnier to say that you don't and exactly. you shouldn't like them. You know, so so with anything from the past, like I think that's what will happen. There's stories, you know, like Bridget exactly. even talked about it a little bit. She doesn't talk about the terrible things that happen directly, but she just makes something crazy out of the story. Right, and find the comedy, and like anything, you just work it. It's. It's. I think it's just being brave enough to say, this is what I'm going to talk about, and I'm going to find the funny. And I don't go at it that way yet, but I, I, I want to one day. I want yeah. to be kind of... I was, uh, I was talking to a young comic the other day, and he was talking... Well, he, was, he wanted to get into comedy, he was talking about it, and he goes, you know, how do you go about it? And I was like, man, best... There's a million types of comedy, there's a million w- different ways to go about it, but if I could give you the best lead-in possible, it would be what's the most embarrassing thing or worst thing that ever happened to you? What did you learn and how can you relate that to other people's experiences and then make jokes out of it? If you can do that, 
you know, because it's storytelling, it's es- it's like essay writing, and it's pain, so there's the funny. If you could do all those three things, and you can tell a joke, you could probably come up with a set. You can probably come up with five minutes. That was my philosophy. I was like, go about that, because pain is funny. If you can wrap it around what you learned, that's even better. And then if you can make the audience go, oh, yeah, I totally know what you're talking about. That's the coup de gras, I think, of comedy, when people are like, he's so right. You know what I mean? I like that. Yeah, that's that is a good way of doing it. It's difficult though for people. You know, it's uh, oftentimes any any time I've sat and written with people before, I've seen that you give that advice. It's logical. It makes sense, but t- t- it's almost impossible for people initially to turn something difficult, a challenge, into something funny. Sure, it's just not how we see it. We kind of think, no. oh, it's got to be a funny story that we already have. But it just doesn't work like that. That's why there's so many hours of staring at that fucking blank page going, what am I doing? Well, if it were easy, everybody could do it. That's it. That's it. The, a big thing that Bridget talked about is getting frustrated with like the whole social justice shit, right? And and social justice warriors, you know? And, and then she's talking about these like men that are made of mush. Because of course she gets a lot of letters mm-hmm. for um, you know from guys that write into the the her Playboy like column or whatever or just like they hear back from her, sure. And then she has to like put it together, make sense of this, right? And being a comedian, you can't help but stay in tune with the social justice shit because you're always under attack from the things that you say, especially if you say crazy shit like she does. Of course, she's very funny though. By the way, um. It's you know you know my take on it like this social justice stuff just drives me mad, I know. Uh, and especially <laughs> well, but especially when men are jumping on board, I just wish it was sincere. I just don't believe it is. Yeah, it like, feels like a, another way of getting laid sometimes, doesn't it? It has to be. I mean, we, when you hear them talk, it has to be that way. It's like they're just it's they're soft. They're soft, and when when I hear a woman point it out. Like it just affirms it to me, you know, because if because if it wasn't the case, I think women would really want to look for men to be like that. They'd be like, no, we want you to be sensitive. This is much better. This is mm-hmm. great. But I, I I think they're just coming up against it going, what the fuck is this? She brings up Jordan Peterson, right? Do you know who he is? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Jordan Peterson uh, is like the psychologist from Canada mm-hmm. who has been on Rogan a bunch of times. He's part of their, like, dork web society. And uh, he, and she was saying how surprising it is because she, I don't know if she had an opinion about him, but, you know, plenty of women don't really care for what right. he's he stands for because he has a bit of a bad rap for being, like, um, I don't know, like, sexist or something. Uh, but it's a lot of it's taken out of context. He's just misrepresented. And he's kind of easy to pick on because he's very direct with the way that he speaks. He doesn't really sugarcoat things. So, mm-hmm. um, but she gets these letters in, and she she's like amazed at how many men have said this guy's really fucking helped me out. Like I had no direction. I didn't know what to think, or like uh, you know, I didn't have a father figure. I, I just didn't have guidance. Mm-hmm. And this person really helps me put the pieces together. And I agree. I think he's excellent for a, a young man to to kind of give you some rules 
to to live by that really will help you orient yourself. Right. And uh, and 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 I got a lot out of him. I didn't even know he was till I was in my mid thirties. And I'm like, this fucking guy knows what he's talking about. But Joe brings up an important thing, and it, it, it was going back to that whole social justice thing. And it's like, Joe says, Jordan, like, and it was something that he was repeating from Jordan Peterson. He goes, you don't want to be a nice person. You want to be a dangerous person who chooses to be nice. Yeah. Now, when you hear something like that, it's very controversial, right? You could see a lot of people would be like, that's bullshit. You need to be nice. And But, I mean, he's a psychologist. He's really looking at it from mm-hmm. like, okay, this is what these studies are showing. This is what the focus of of uh, these studies show, like how you should behave, how you'll be perceived. And I couldn't agree more with that statement. Yeah. It, you know that's kind of like the way that I talk anyway. Absolutely. I mean, if it's not jujitsu, if it's not whatever, I'm like, you need to be ready. But choosing to be nice is always what you want to do. Right. Always. That's um, always the goal. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's a evolutionary biology. I mean, if you go back to the dawn of time, the dawn of civilization, of humanity, um, men guard, guard the cave. I mean, that's just inherent in our DNA. That's where we are. Uh, Bill Maher famously said, uh, talking about women who say they want a man that isn't afraid to cry. He goes, y- you say that, but then, you know, they do it five times and you kind of be fucking over it. And I kind of, and I always laughed at that. And I'm like, it's true. Um, and I think that's the way he says that is really excellent. You, a dangerous man that chooses to be nice. And I, I would mesh it along the lines of, you want to know your guy can guard the cave, but he doesn't have to be mean about it, you know? It's like somebody tough, somebody that can stand up for themselves, somebody masculine, but that is kind. That's how I, that's like how I like to do it. I got no need to have a loud bark. I'm really happy that's, to just be, That's the key. You know what I mean? I'm happy to be nice, kind, accommodating, polite to everyone because I'm not afraid of them, I guess is the way I think of it. Yeah, it's, it's having the capacity to be aggressive in the right moment. Right for the right reason is not the same as being a, an aggressive person. And that's right. the same for being dangerous. Like it doesn't mean that you're a danger to people. Mm-hmm. It means that no, you can exactly. actually keep people safe. I have, um, I have a friend that, um, he is the epitome of just the nice guy. And you, you see it in his behavior, especially in the way he interacts with women. Um, but the interesting thing is, I, as I've watched him, because I love to do these socio observations of men and the way they behave, and I watch him, and I'm like, the nice guy tactic is is uh, that's what it is. It's a tactic. It's just a way to gain favor, to get in good graces, to get laid, as it were. I was like, this is just a strategy. I'm not sure this is really who you are deep down inside. I feel like this is just your strategy. And that I think when women talk about nice guys and they're not interested in nice guys, I kind of feel like that's what they're talking about. What do you think? Yeah, they're not talking about men being nice. They love anyone that's nice. They want you to back it up with the ability to not have to be nice in a particular situation and to believe that people aren't looking out for that. Look, I can't speak for women. I'm a guy. Of course. But I, I date generally very sweet women. They're always mm-hmm. very sweet. They're lovely. They're not they're not like the type that will yell out if some shit goes down. They won't be like, fuck you too. Like it's never those women. I can't stand uh birds like that. I just can't. I'm like, right. they're gonna get me killed. 
It's a nightmare. Exactly. It's like, I, you know. I, I mean, in each your own. You speak however you want to for your life. Like, do it however you want. But of course. For me, it's just who I'm attracted to, and that is that sweetness. But even though oftentimes they would never admit it, like even my current girlfriend wouldn't admit it, but I know she feels safe. She doesn't have to worry. She knows that even though maybe I'll get annoyed about something at a restaurant or I'm getting a bit kind of worked up where I don't need to be, that's just always something that she's like, you know, reeling me in from. She just reels me in like, all right, calm down. I'm like, okay, all right, I'm fine. I'm cool. But when the shit goes down, she just does not need to be concerned. She's like, okay, he's going to take care of this. Mm-hmm. We're going to be safe. It's going to be fine. You know, not just going to stand there and get pushed over. And I have very, very nice friends. Some of the nicest people I've ever met. But right. they're also strong individuals. You never see it. It, often, it rarely comes out. But they always have that gear. They have that gear to like step up and do what's necessary. And it, I, I just think it's important. I think it's an important factor. And And I don't think men feel good when they don't have it. That's when they turn into social justice warriors. They're trying to find that power, and they're mm. doing it down a very strange avenue. Right. I don't know. I no, could be I, completely wrong, but I it get, just seems. No, I, I like get it. I mean, I, I understand the social justice movement. I, I understand where it's born out of. I understand it's, a lot of it is born out of being sick and goddamn tired of being the butt of jokes and being the butt of oppression, whatever. And Chris Cuomo was on Bill Maher. Um, Friday night and he had a really good um analogy he goes you can't deal with things in a one size fits all he goes you have to use a scalpel and I think that's where we've kind of I think your backlash against PC culture is I think justified in a lot of ways because we're using a one size fits all when there is scalpel because there there are nuances to all of these problems and there are nuances to jokes and there are nuances nuances to situations and life is complicated and the way things are perceived are complicated and i don't think one size fits all well at sure. all you know what i mean i think you have to approach things with a, with a scalpel but yeah you're going back to your, but going back to the the point you were making that um yeah a lot of times it feels like a tactic to get laid i don't know well, I I think that's what Bridget was really getting at in a sense. Yeah. I mean, think she's in a very unique position because she writes about this professionally and she's a comedian, so she right. can say silly things. But she's dated a lot. She's had tough times with men. She's, you know, she's had to deal with, you know, th- some rough situations, which she talks about in the podcast. And then now she's sat there. Men are like coming to her to like tell their story or give advice. So she has a lot of data, really, in a sense. And she's able to make these comparisons from like strong men writing in to weaker men or men that are lost or men that are finding themselves. And, and you know, there's probably a pattern through the letters of like vocab and dialogue that she can put together and be like, I think this guy is in a much better position than this other one who's trying to complain about X, Y, and Z and always trying to stick up for women and blah, blah, blah. Right. You know, and I I find it interesting because because she didn't go into it like that. Like, it was a bit of a shock for her. And it's easy to have that predisposed thought that, like, oh, they're nice, so they must be nice. That's the best way to be. Right. Well, let's look at the picture as a whole mm-hmm. and, and kind of put it together, right? Yeah. I mean, you got to think about that. If you're going to have kids, you gotta you got to think, well, how the fuck am I supposed to raise them? Am I raising them to be nice? 
Am I raising them to be strong men? Occasionally nice. I don't know. Dude, it's, I will. It's good information. I'll give you the best example I could think of, and I was pr- I was pretty proud of this. I was talking to this young man this weekend, and um, where because I bounce at a uh, at a club, um, salsa dancing and things like that. And this and this one guy, he was a younger dude, and um, he didn't really know how to dance there. He was well, he was just there for a good time or whatever. And he saw this girl he was really into, and they were kind of flirting. And then she went out on the dance floor, and she was a really excellent dancer. And he said to me, he's like, oh, man, she's so good. I have no shot with her. And I was like, yo, dude, let me give you this straight. You let her decide what she's into. You let her decide what she wants in a man, what she's looking for in a man. She gets to decide that. I said, the best you can do is just go be the best man you can. I go, improve yourself. Improve yourself across the board. Learn to cook. Learn to do artistic things. Learn a phenomenal trade or have a good career. Do things that make you happy. I said, become a full person across the board. Not to get women, but just to be a full person. And the byproduct is you'll find a wonderful match in that world out there. It may not be the girl that is a phenomenal dancer because she... Uh, you know, she might want the spectacular dancer because that's what they'll bond over. I said, but then she may not want that at all because a lot of salsa dancers are players and they're suave and things like that. I can say that I worked in this damned industry doing bouncing and bartending for like 11 years. I know that whole social scene and no one would disagree with me. But I was like, you just focus on being the best man you can and let the chips fall where they may. And that's kind of how I approach that. It's like, I remember it was a couple of years ago. I decided it's like I just want to be a really good man, not to get women, but just to be proud of who I am as a human being, have honor, respect, and be you know, I think well appreciated. That's how I approached it, and it's made me happy. That's solid advice. Wait, you gave this advice while working the door to some dude at the bar? Yeah, dude, that's awesome. That should have been. That honestly should be its own show. <laughs> right advice from a doorman <laughs> but it's true and and i followed it up with saying was I probably said, like, so, what the fuck well i followed it up with saying to him and i was like so you know don't let don't decide what she wants you let her decide what she wants i said however if she doesn't want you you accept that and move the fuck on leave her alone and, he, and i was like and that's just as important i was like know when you're beat if she doesn't want to go out with you she didn't want to talk with you she doesn't want to dance with you then leave her the fuck alone like there's no like move on yeah find someone that works with you it's like don't impose your will on her that doesn't go with being the best man you can be anyway that's the end of my uh so yeah no you're certainly much nicer than me i would have just said sir you're standing too close and i don't care why you're not getting laid oh i've done that too i told this one guy he was up (laughs) on me i said yo i'm not santa claus so get off my fucking lap and he was like oh i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) it is so weird the conversation you're like a psychologist when you're working the door half the time. You really are. More than a bartender. people are a bit drunk. Yeah, and it's stupid what they get into. You're like, fuck me. i got to hold this conversation. Yep. Well, <laughs> next up, Chris Ryan. Christopher Ryan. Podcast 1369. Now, he's not a psychologist, but he's a philosopher. Mm-hmm. And a very smart one. He's a super chill dude. He wrote the book... Sex at Dawn and has a new one called Civilized to Death. I haven't read either of these, but Joe talks about the Sex at Dawn one that has some mm-hmm. pretty strange theories in. 
Um, something about like the size of the genitals get. Uh, then the bigger the genitals, the more promiscuous the females in that species is. Something like this. Interesting. I don't know if this is biolo- biologically based, um, but again, he's a thinker. And he has a podcast called Tangentially Speaking. And uh, he does it from a little sprinter van and travels all over the country meeting really interesting people. And that's how he kind of mostly makes his living when he's not, I I guess, on speaking tours or getting paid um, to write books. So very, very cool guy. Very cool guy. Mm -hmm. And an interesting thing that he started off with, and it's kind of along the same lines, right? He's talking about talks a lot about sex and openly like you know his experiences with things and and uh he was talking about a relationship he had i can't remember if he said it was his wife or not but somebody he was with that spoke a different language and he was speaking a different language (laughs) to them like during sex but he never does that like uh like spanish sure right because he knew some spanish and she was disgusted by it she was like get off me get away from me And the point he made is that he notices with his girlfriends and wives that he that that like they almost have different, uh, not just gestures and mannerisms when they speak different languages, but almost like different personalities. They almost become a different person. Sure. And he noticed this while very very high. It sounds like a very stoner thing to do anyway Mm -hmm. but but that's what he noticed so so his theory was when he like spoke a different language to her during this intimate moment she almost saw him as a different person Mm. and was like repulsed i never heard anything like that before what did you think of that whole discussion i that's that was really fascinating to me and i can see that because i know because i'm i do impressions in my stand-up act i do voices i do accents and I definitely feel, and this is just coming from my perspective, I definitely feel a different set of freedoms. So if I do throw like a, I've got to do a bit about a New York guy I, and I throw on the New York accent, I feel completely free to kind of say whatever I want. I feel like a tough guy, you know, kind of like our buddy uh, Eddie that we know um, versus, yeah. you know, if I threw on a French accent or if I'm doing Bernie Sanders or whatever, I kind of feel into that mold i have no idea and i can only imagine that because language is so intertwined with culture i mean you, you can be t- you could talk about spanish from mexico you could talk about spanish from spain and those would be very different but i'm sure it would awaken something because i mean how many times have people called those who speak english you know stiff uptight especially you know like the stiff upper lip in britain or the uptight white guy in the united states so, so I definitely see that, and I imagine if that came out, you know, he might see you, it might embody a different personality, at least for that person that he was with. I do notice that with comedians when they're doing an accent, especially an extreme one, yeah. from their own, they do get very silly with it. Like yeah. it's almost like that is sillier than they would ever get if they just did um, their own accent. They were them as a character being silly it's almost like they can go further when they do an accent as well yeah hey if the fires get too bad and you end up just burning to death just give me a sign and i'll just continue on my own but you know the show goes on right no i know i'm fine it's just one spot (laughs) i'm just kidding i've already gone through three glasses of water in like the last half hour keep drinking 
Just get up, drink some more. I'll keep talking. Don't worry. It'll no, be like a Joe Rogan bathroom break. <laughs> um, they 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 talk about some interesting things too, like superstition in general, like and the placebo effect. So we know the placebo effect works. Yep. But then, in a sense, superstition can work almost with a placebo effect. Sadly, most superstition is like in the negative direction. Right. Um, but do you ever notice like the nice ones, like the positive ones? It, it, I I'm not. I don't consider myself a superstitious person right at all mm-hmm. for the negative ones i won't be like oh a cat crossed me or i walked under a fucking ladder or i stood on a crack right but but oftentimes if i see a penny that's heads up i just pick it up i don't even remember where i heard that or if that's even properly a thing sure but if it's heads up and i see a penny i just pick it up and i'm like hmm, i'll take the good luck ones because if there is a placebo effect in there, why not? It doesn't hurt to believe it, right? Of course not. It's probably good for you to believe it. I'm not damning myself. Well, they talk about voodoo death. I'd never even heard of this, and I Googled it afterwards, and it's like people that think that they had voodoo curses on them and they believe in voodoo, like, can fucking die. Yeah. Like, it, if they're like, oh, you'll die at the end of the week or whatever. They they work themselves up so much that they actually die. Mm-hmm. That, well, then how the fuck could you ever prove if the voodoo was even working or not? That seems insane. I, I mean, I think that's the placebo effect. Again, because I don't believe in voodoo. So it's gonna have I to definitely be. think that's the placebo effect. <laughs> that they work themselves into a fucking frenzy and it kills them. And it's mind over matter. It works in both ways. You know, you hear about yeah, but if you ask them and you ask their family and the other people that believe in voodoo, they'd be like, "No, that was the fucking voodoo. She didn't have a choice. The curse was already there." And we'd be like, "Yeah, no, there's nothing there. It can't exist." They're like, "Can and she died, so you're wrong." And you'd be like, "Oh shit, maybe we're wrong." I mean, sure they can they can they can think that and they died, but I mean, you can I mean, people have that shit happens. I'm sure it does. I'm sure people work themselves up into fucking frenzies where they end up dying or if they hmm. convince their brains so much that they're going to die that they fucking die. But, you know, I think you I think could it's also important voodoo- then to. Go ahead. Go on. Sorry. No, I was saying we you could put a voodoo this. curse this is a on delay me getting fucked up. and uh, I'd be fine in seven days because I don't believe that shit. I'd be like, OK, well, get out of the way, crazy lady. I got to go to work. Yeah. Well, obviously, right? But I, they, that's kind of how they do it. It's like it only works if you believe or don't believe. And, and that's why it's important, I think, to consider what positive placebo effects you could have. Sure. You know, like recently you had what? You, you had your back issue. You had some muscle spasming. Oof. Yeah. If there was like a way to be like, okay, what actually works? What's good? Go out into nature, walk in nature, go to the ocean, like... You know, if there was just some things that I guess for each person, it's probably slightly different. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think they talked on this podcast about if you're sick in a hospital, if you have a window that faces some trees rather than facing a building, you're like more likely to recover from it. I don't know how the fuck they got that data, but it sounds very placebo-y to me. It does. Well, but because the brain is, um, the way we stimulate the brain is so important to our overall health. And our, I mean, even our outlook. I mean, they've done studies about how people who just think more positively have help, happier, healthier, longer lives. I'm not saying positivity is the cure to depression or anything, but I think all, all things being equal, you get a set, you get a 
set of people and one group thinks positively and is exposed to positive stimuli, you know, sunny days, nature, things like that versus people that think negative thoughts and are exposed to cloudy days, rain thing. I think you're probably going to see an overall positive effect on the one group that is effect it is introduced to positive stimuli versus the other one. I mean, I think they've mm. done many studies on that. Seasonal effectiveness disorder. I mean, just people that live in Seattle get so fucking depressed during the winter because it's so cloudy and rainy all the time. People in Alaska that actually lose the sunlight for a few months out of the year because of the way of where Alaska is in rotation or in in, um, in reference to the rotation of the Earth. That shit. So, um, I mean, they've done studies. They know these things happen. So the the way the brain is stimulated has a very profound effect i think on our overall health mental and physical yeah well I, I, at the end of the day i think it's just like positive attitude stuff right i think stop so. complaining try and be positive you fucking live longer yeah i mean they say Simple. i've heard so many people say you pick 10 things you're thankful for and just say it out loud once a day just it gets you into that frame of mind of approaching it's a philosophy of approaching the life through a lens of gratitude of appreciating what you have as opposed to complaining about what you don't i mean i i can't imagine that isn't a happier way to live life personally have you ever tried that shit though it's really annoying but like the third day you can't fucking you you can't even think of another grateful thing you're like i'm done this is ridiculous. You can do the same 10. I, look, it's not um, dude from SNL. It's not, uh, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm happy, I'm healthy, and people like me or whatever the fucking thing was. It's not that. It's literally just kind of focusing on what makes you happy and what you're happy to have. You can focus on the same shit every day. Like, I do that all the time. I love my car. I see my car. I'm like, oh, I fucking love my car. I'm my apartment. I'm like... <laughs> You know, girlfriend and I are redecorating right now. I love my fucking apartment. I love my home. I love my neighborhood when it's not on fire. You know, my brother's around the corner. You're one of my best friends. We do this podcast. I'm thankful for that shit. It's not like me sitting in the mirror going, you're okay. Everything is great. It's me going like, I love all this shit, man. And it's focusing on that. That makes me fucking happy, you know? It's not a... Um, you know, I think I, I think I do that, but it, in maybe a slightly different way. Right. Like, I, if I think of the things that I care about and like doing... Sure. I I have all good <laughs> thoughts about it. Like, I don't think of this podcast and think, oh, what a drag. I've got to do one of these later. I Never. think this is fucking fun. Absolutely. I love the fact that I schedule time with someone I like to talk to, and then I chat, and for whatever reason, a bunch of people listen to it. And I love that. Yeah, and, and you know it makes me want to do a good job. I'm like, oh, th- this is more than just a conversation that I love, but I don't feel pressure. I don't feel like, oh, I can't fuck this up. I'm like, look, I'm just gonna. If I ever feel pressured, I would just be like, I gotta stop doing this, guys. Sorry, because you're not gonna enjoy me feeling pressured trying to make this better. No, I just try and relax and have fun, and I get to do it. Like who? I I don't know. I don't. Who who do you talk to more on the phone than me? It's like, I just e- even if it does happen, it's like we get a solid, we get like a solid hour conversation a few times a week where we just get into all different kinds of shit. And it's Absolutely. not about complaining. We're not moaning about shit. We're just trying to like find interesting facts or thoughts or funny things out of something that we've been listening to. Absolutely. 
It's things we it's love. It's a good way to spend your time. Things we appreciate. Well, I think we were both well, pretty this happy is, guys. This is the next thing that they... Yeah, for sure. I'm not a no. I'm not an unhappy person. It would be a terrible podcast if I was an unhappy person. <laughs> Who the fuck would want to listen to that? Exactly. I mean, it's bad enough, and I'm in a good mood most of the time. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is what you make. They talk a little bit about about their jobs, right? And I think right. this goes hand in hand. This is along with that whole placebo thing, being positive, doing things that you like, being grateful, and and. Th- they are very grateful, yeah. obviously. Joe talks about the things that he does and why they, that he's been so successful, and it's because he loves doing them. Mm-hmm. They don't feel like a job. He loves it. He has passion for it. They've got massive. You know, all three of them are beyond massive. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and they, and they are separate, but in the same way connected. I'm sure Joe's comedy numbers in general have got a lot bigger because of the podcast. Mm-hmm. I think UFC is separate. I think, yeah, if anything, agreed. the UFC early on it helped his podcast because they're like, oh, he also does this. Uh, so so they all kind of played into each other. So there is a connection, but they're also pretty different as well. And then Chris talks about the same thing, and he's like, I love what I do. I mean, he just writes books. He has a ton of freedom, doesn't have to have a nine-to-five basically lives in a van. He said he did have a, an apartment in LA, but he just travels around. Yeah. I don't know if I could tolerate that shit, honestly. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather, I don't know. Well, I think I'd like to have a home base. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I was trying to think then. I was like almost torn. I was like, I don't know. How nice is this van? How big is it? It doesn't help that you and I are both like six foot three, so maybe the idea of living in a van is a fucking bit of a nightmare. Yeah, no, that sounds terrible to me. That sounds like flying coach for life. <laughs> mm, yeah, kind of, yeah. But I mean, he's saying he gets about 50,000 downloads a podcast. Nice. You know, goals. And he gets to meet his fans. Yeah, goals, right? He gets to meet his fans in different locations, creates a dialogue with them. I mean, I was really inspired by it. I mean, I don't... I don't know where I see this thing going, but I mean, people listening, if we get, ever get numbers like that, I mean, I would love to travel to a different town oh, and just say, hey, we're going to be at this bar and just chat, yeah. hang out. I know. I'd you know? love to do a live version. I'd love to. I think it'd be a blast. I think there'll be a blast. Well, a big part of what he says uh, he likes about it is not really even him meeting the fans. It's them meeting each other. He's like they have so much in common, right? And they get to meet up and chat about these things, and it's and it's really very interesting, and and I like that a lot. Uh, one of the cool parts, and I think my favorite part of this podcast is when he was talking about first meeting Joe. So he knew Duncan Trussell was, and that's one of Joe's friends. And he came on his podcast. He didn't know what a podcast was. He was living in Spain. He comes to the US and Duncan says hey go on my friend Joe's podcast so he goes on Joe's didn't know who Joe was never heard of him before and uh, was barely used to a, a podcast but was like oh you're, you're Duncan's friend he didn't realize that Joe's podcast was like the bigger one mm-hmm. of the two but it didn't matter right? and they smoke a little bit of weed so he's like probably too high and he starts telling the story about one of his friends and, and it's one of these stories that he probably shouldn't be talking about and, and he turns to Joe and he's like, he's like, oh, uh, oh, shit, can we start over? Can we just cut this? And Joe just looks at him and he goes, we're live, bitch. Oh. And I, I just, 
he just says so much about like like who joe is and like just throwing people under the bus and saying dude this is it let's fucking go and i, and I think that's why people just uh find you know this joe and this whole medium so attractive i mean cr- they've been really good friends ever since it didn't scare him away it didn't make him say oh that was so unprofessional and i was so embarrassed i think it was freeing i think it was sure. really freeing sure and he just went fuck it that was great i loved it yeah, fantastic. Yeah, very, very funny. He's he's uh, an incredibly chilled individual. I, I really like the way this guy talks. I should listen to his podcast more. Fuck me. There's just not enough time there's for not all these great time. podcasts that are out there. There isn't. We we got to kind of split off into groups, I think. And, Agree. Uh, well, and, the, hell, that's why we do yeah. this damn podcast for those that don't have... 12 hours a week to listen to Joe Rogan's podcast. They can at least get caught up yeah. and listen to two dudes. Oh, talk and we're definitely... So at the end of his podcast, he talked about how December 3rd, uh, he's doing an award show for... But it's like a mock award show where comedians go up and accept awards for large companies that have destroyed the environment. Oh, that's amazing. And last year, Moshe Kesha was there and his her wife, his wife... Um, and, and it's in Inglewood. So he's going to be there to, I think we should go to that. That sounds funny as fuck. I would love to see how they put it together. And it's just a big spoof, you know, I love and, it. and ah, tickets to that. They probably go to charity, probably goes to the environment. I think that that's great. I think it's, and then we can do, yeah, we we'll do a little, uh, review on that one yeah, too. We'll do and a that's special not episode. too far. I think that'd be excellent. Yeah, I'm a big fan of this guy. I gave this one 7.5 out of 10. I don't think I rated the last podcast. Doesn't matter. This one, 7.5. It was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, fuck yeah. I'm totally looking forward to meeting this dude next month. He'll probably think, um, he'll probably have some funny things to say about this podcast, but it, it's cool to get it out there. Yeah, you know what it. I mean? Talk about it. Fuck. Next up, 1370, Brian Grazer. What a cool guest. Huge producer. Yeah, dude. Uh, produced and I think he wrote The Nutty Professor, actually, which I fucking love that movie. Well, he's produced everything. He owns Imagine Entertainment with Ron Howard. He's produced, damn, I mean, he's produced almost every Ron Howard film except for like two or three. They've been in, they've been in Holy business shit. together for like 30 years. So Apollo 13, Cinderella Man, uh, all the greats, uh, the, all the Da Vinci Codes. I'm pretty sure he's produced all of those. Is big. Imagine Entertainment wow. is huge it's one of the biggest production companies in hollywood i love that well what i found so fascinating about this guy is he starts off immediately you expect him to be i'm like okay i don't know who who this guy is that much i knew you would know him but i i just didn't know him okay i I don't pay attention unless it's like i don't even know any producer jerry brockheimer uh-huh. You know, I guess I know Harvey Weinstein from his fucked up story, sure. but I didn't yeah. know him before that. Yeah. And, you know, and then there's like, I don't know the, I really don't know any others. I don't think Steven Spielberg probably produced some shit. Yeah, know. I'd say so. But yeah. I'm clueless. I'm clu- well, I knew he's a director, but I'm clueless of this stuff. So I was like, sure. all right, what do these guys do? What are they into? Are they just money bags? Or he seems like the most fascinating collector of information. And he's basically spent the last 20 years just using his celebrity and his contacts to meet incredible people and sit down and talk to them at length. Yeah. 
And Joe pointed it out. He's like, you basically had a podcast with no audience. And it was still so valuable to him. Sure. And it's fucking genius. God damn it, it's too bad he didn't record all those I know, things. it is, man. Ugh. He sat down with Margaret Thatcher, I think, in the 80s. Like, what? Just to talk to her. Oh. I know. Yeah, just to be like, what do you know? What's going on? How did you do this? What's your insight? Now, he started to record them. I think over the last 10 years or so, he has. But, uh, yeah, you name it. I think I think probably his list of A-lifts, A-list celebrities, completely trumps Joe's. Oh, and right. I'm sure Joe will be texting him over the next coming months to kind of pull some guests his way. Probably, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. I, yeah. I can't imagine, maybe only Steven Spielberg would know more A-listers. But to be perfectly honest, at that point, it's kind of... Like, it's kind of a moot point to debate who would know more, but he would definitely... That dude is, in a business sense, as powerful as Jeff Bezos, or, you know, he would definitely know more A-listers than, say, Barack Obama or something like that. The dude is a mega producer. He's a mega producer. He might be the biggest one in Hollywood, period. He is so humble, too. Just like you would never have, uh, you know, Joe was like, I love you. That movie was so good. He's like, thanks, man. Thanks. I just, you know, I really didn't know what direction to take for this one and that one. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. Like how lucky are people to get to work? You just, I, I always kind of feel like when you get to a certain level of power, you're just this asshole boss. And maybe that's just my experience, but it's really inspiring to know that there are incredibly powerful people out there doing huge things, and they're just wonderful. There are. You know, they're sweethearts. They're not all monsters. And and they get the job done, and they get the job done. That's beautiful to hear. It's it's very inspiring, for sure. 100%. Uh, yeah, I met yeah. him once. I met him once, years ago, probably a decade ago, and he was very sweet to me, because I was just a fledgling writer. And uh, he knew no it, shit. He uh, and he was one of those few. I mean, it was just a brief interaction, one minute, two minutes, something like that. He was all about me, which I thought was really cool because it was like, I'm Mr. Grazer, such a fan. He was like, Thanks, what's your name? And he goes, No, what do you do? And you know, it's like, You're a writer. He was wonderful. What kind of writing do you do that? He goes, Oh, that sounds so wonderful. And he goes, I'm so excited for you. You know, I hope one day we get to work together, something like that. But it was very much like, I don't care about me. Like, it, it was just a wonderful interaction. I'm not saying that might be how he is with everybody, but it was, it was cool that I was a nobody, still am. And, um, but he took even a minute out to ask about me, which I think is. I think the trait of a, a really good human that take the focus off themselves and embrace other people. He did talk a lot about um, learning like the art of eye contact. Like he very yes. much keeps eye contact with people that he talks to. And he said it was a way to like feel their, like get in their heart or something. Yeah. And he did this very young because he had, he was super dyslexic as a kid. So yeah. he couldn't read well. He couldn't, you know, even write that. So his communication was all just through people. Like, he needed to get the knowledge directly from them. And I'm not sure where this idea, these, like, not necessarily interviews, but conversations he had with people, where it's come from. Mm -hmm. And that practice probably does lead you to a point of, like, creating that feeling like you had. And that's really fucking cool you got to meet that guy. Yeah, it was really cool. yeah, he sounded he sounded like a, a super fascinating guy. And that is something that I think about, right? With podcasting especially, the more we do, 
You know, I th- really do think it makes you a better conversationalist. Yeah, I do too. It has to. I do too. Well, it helps. It's, I have to go back and listen. It helps that we have interesting conversations, in my opinion, at least. I think we do. Um, sometimes I could, if I talk to people, especially at our places of work, sometimes I just want to shoot myself in the head. But, uh, yeah, you and I have fun conversations, I think. But then it also makes me think, like, people like him, you're saying, um, made you feel, like, really in the moment. Like, he didn't just glaze over you. He couldn't be bothered. True. And I think that there's an art there, too. There is. Because, obviously, some people, and they talk about it, because I guess he was talking to some, some, uh, like, rapper, that at first the conversation was a real struggle. And they both agree, like, some conversations harder than others. But it doesn't make them less good. It just makes it so that you've got to figure out what they are interested in. Right. Where's their interest so you can get them excited and then you can get the ball rolling. And and I think that is really what we're saying. Like, yeah, of course, when we're at work, some people, are, they're drinking, we're working on the door. We don't want to fucking talk to drunk oh, exactly. people that, that are and too that's drunk. that's a different thing. But sometimes someone's thing. just boring. And yeah. it's like, well, you know what? Maybe maybe we need to find a way to get something interesting out of them. You know, maybe there's an art there. And it's yeah. it's definitely a skill set I don't have. Because I often am like, all right, be entertaining because I'm getting bored. But maybe exactly. I should try and figure out what people are into. Or like what really makes them tick. And I'm like, oh, you're not as annoying as I thought you'd be. No, they are. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they might be. They might be. But it gives you some hope, right? It gives you some. No, hope. it does. I would do that at uh, the store after comedy store. If anybody would come up that was in the audience and like say, you know, good set or that joke was great or that impression was great, I would always say, "Thanks so much." What's your name? That would always just because I remember. I, I remember meeting celebrities that I don't know met them that I've really never had a bad celebrity interaction. But some are more friendly than others. But the ones that always seem to be the most meaningful would be like what's your name and ask questions about that and not that i'm a celebrity but i definitely wanted to make it a positive experience not just like oh thanks so much it was like oh thanks what's your name where are you from how'd you end up the show blah 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 it makes it a more meaningful interaction i think for both of us personally sure well i mean anytime you do a set and somebody wants to say you did good i honestly i don't care how weird they are I am more than happy to talk to him because, well, one, shit, that somebody once said something nice about a set that I've had, that's great. That feels great. But also, it's like, well, yeah, this is the beginning of practicing not to be an asshole. Yep, that's Because they spent the time to come up, and if if they're really socially awkward, it might have been a difficult thing for them to come do. 100%. And then the last thing you want to do is make them feel bad about it. 100%. You know? 100%. Yeah, you got to get better at that. And hopefully more people will come over. The two things I want to talk about before we end this one is I loved his story when he did too many edibles and he freaked (laughs) out. He called his doctor and his doctor came like all the way from Malibu Uh to his house and slept at the end of the bed until he calmed down. That's a fucking good doctor. That's a good doctor who's well paid, guaranteed. Yeah, well paid. He's getting some referrals. Fucking doing some house calls. I'm sure not everyone... Yeah, not everyone gets that treatment, but that was that's pretty hilarious. I mean, if if anyone's ever done too many edibles, you know exactly what position and state he was I in. I have. Don't do too many. Don't do too many. Oh, and the boy. next thing they talk a little bit about, they talk about fat shaming. What's your stand on fat shaming? On fashion? F- no, fat shaming. 
Fat shaming. Uh, no, I, I don't like. I, I, I don't like picking on people. I, I'm against it across. the Well, board. you know that. I don't. This this is in reference to the uh, Bill Meyer and uh, what's his name? That late night host Corbin. They got into it. Yeah, B- Bill Maher and Corbin. Yeah, I didn't. I I watched Bill Maher's whole thing on that. The whole fat shaming. And I I first of all, he played it for jokes mostly. But I I'm 100 percent against that i i don't like it i don't first of all it's not going to make them it's not going to make them get better and first of all who the fuck it's not your fucking business what their size is anyway it's not going to make them get better if you think that is your goal it's not going to make that it's just going to make them feel worse about themselves already you know at the end of the day you've got to people have to make the change within themselves if that's something they want to do to whether get healthier fit lose weight anything and I, th- I think it's just another fucking form of bullying and i'm so over bullies in this fucking world so i'm decidedly against it yeah me too but i i don't like i don't think you should just make fun of a fat person that's right in front of you but you no. def excuse me you definitely shouldn't say it's okay i mean if i'm chain smoking cigarettes and drinking a bunch of booze it would be asinine if people around me were like, that's perfectly fine. It's your choice. No, no, no. People, without berating me too much, should totally be on my case and be like, dude, that's not good for you and it's eventually going to kill you. Sure. Within reason. Well, that would be, that's the difference between you and I doing it, me going to you as one of your good friends, man to man, saying, hey, man, I don't think this is, I, I'm worried about you. This isn't a healthy way to live. I'd like you to be here longer. I, I would like you to stop versus a random fucking stranger doing it or a goddamn publication doing it in a magazine or anything like that. That's completely different. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. But it, but it's getting a little, it's getting a little sensitive on the end of like being like, let, just let them be who they are. And blah, blah. I'm like, look, we got, we, we can't just say that that's like an okay way to be like, I don't know. It's that's a tough one because it's like, how do you even go about it? How do you even stop? Well, it's, people I mean, are just getting I, fatter and fatter. That that we know. People are getting bigger. It never used to be like are. this. People in I go back to England now, and they are they're catching up with America. It's happening. Wow. Um, you don't see it in France. I'm in Paris right now. There's not a lot of fat people here that I see. No. But there are some big people, and it's like it's a problem. People should fucking. You know, you can't baby everyone. Like, you need to make it clear. Look, you're going to fucking get real sick if you stay like this for a long time. Well, I think that's the way of going yeah. about it. If you, I mean, present information. Knowledge is power. Some people don't give a shit, and they're not going to get better no matter what you do. That's it. Um, yeah. They just don't. Um, I think pr- positive information, saying, look, health benefits of this. Um, I, I think... The solution to any of these problems is to educate, educate, educate. And, you know, and it goes down to them and the doctor, too. You know, you go into your doctor. The doctor's like, you need to lose a lot of weight or you're going to die. You're going to have horrible health problems. Um, But, again, I just... Bullying, I don't think, solves anything. Education does. Education, not through the lens of shame, but through the lens of helping. You also can't completely control how people are going to react to things but but we also have this fucking thing in the united states and it might be around the world too i mean women feeling shamed i mean you and i live in la so we know women feeling shamed because they're a size six or a size eight or a size ten ridiculousness that like 
they shouldn't feel Jamila Jamil talks a lot about this. Um, she's on the good place. She talks about, you know, positive um, body types for women and understand that you can have that extra scoop of ice cream and you shouldn't be forced to feel guilty because all you see is size zero or size two models on Instagram. And I think there's been a lot of that and fat shaming women that are not in any way fat. And I think that's bullshit too. Well, yeah, that's where it gets ridiculous. 100%. I, I'm talking about a health No, a I health get it. Issue. I get it. I get it. But you, but, you see but, lines yeah, I know what you're saying, too. You do it's see lines skewed. blurred. It's a skewed setup. Yeah. Well, that's kind of how they ended it, and I wanted to throw that out, too. I love that conversation. I think that Brian is a, f- like a fantastic human being all around. I'm a big fan. Seems like, like it. It makes me want to go watch movies that he makes. Because I know who's behind it. This was an 8 out of 10 for me. Um, because I think it will lead to bigger guests on Rogan. That'd be awesome. Just because of like, yeah, just because of who he knows. And I'd like to hear him back on. I think Agreed. that uh, he's an awesome person. I wanted to wrap up Sober October because this is actually our last one before it ends. Uh-huh. Um, I actually stopped doing it anyway right before I came to Paris, which was the 22nd. <laughs> right. Um, the other two people I was doing it with really struggled with it and kind of dropped off. I didn't realize how hard people would find it. Maybe I just wasn't thinking about it. But here's what I'm going to throw out there. I know it's healthier and it is good to do. I did it for two and a half months at the beginning of the year as well after a long trip to Europe again where you end up drinking way too much wine. Mm-hmm. But this time around, it just didn't... I didn't... I don't know. I didn't I didn't feel anything from it. Interesting. And, and that sounds weird to say because Joe's given a lot of positive feedback about how he feels about sure. it. And maybe that's just the more responsible message because you want to encourage people to do it. But I don't know. Since I've been able to have a couple of glasses of wine every evening, which I'm about to do after I finish <laughs> this podcast. It's just it's just a bit better. And, to, you know, I'm not smoking weed while I'm in Paris, so I guess right. I'm still m- somewhat sober in that sense. Uh, that one I missed uh, a great deal. But, I uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it's just one of those things. It's like, how disciplined are you anyway? If you're kind of there, like, I don't think Joe struggles to do Sober October. I don't think I think so the Bert Kreischer does because he drinks more. I don't think I did. Uh, but it's a good test. Well, the two, it's a good test. And the two you referred to that really struggled with it, um, I, that that's the least surprising thing I've ever heard. Uh, of course, they would struggle with it. I think they struggled <laughs> with Sober October Day 1. Let's be real about yeah, that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they were sweating the first week. Yeah. Anyway. Thank you guys, as always, for downloading, listening, putting up with us, um, coming in from Paris and L.A. Uh, It seems to be editing together, so these podcasts are really coming together. I like the fact that we can do this internationally and uh, that it works out. Um, Instagram has got a bit of a new look, so check it out. Joe Rogan Experience Review. I know a lot of you guys, I guess, blew it up last night, um, liking and thanking and uh, comments and things, so... So keep that up. We appreciate it. And uh, as always, you can message us at Joe Rogan Experience Review at gmail.com. We'd like to hear back from people. And uh, that's it. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, guys. Cheers. <laughs>